0: my friends. Thank you for joining us today on Unleashed with Kimberly, a conversation for insight and intelligence. I'm your host, Kimberly Anderson. I'm an intuitive transformational coach and business creative. And happy, happy nonprofit November. Yes, this month we are talking with incredible people that have started or are on holding up huge nonprofits that are helping so many, so many people. And I am super excited today to talk to Randy Lung with, from Dive Guardians and Kimberly Boynton from Leave No Woman Behind. Thank you both of you so much for being here with me today. I'm so excited to talk about this. Well,
1: thank, thank you for having you. us.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, Randy, let's just start with you real fast. Tell us what it is that you actually just do.
1: Okay, yeah, so we're... Uh we're Dive Guardians and we're a nonprofit. What we do is we bring awareness to the mental health issues and high rates of suicide among first responders. Um, and we try to reduce those numbers through our program, which consists of uh, biofeedback, hyperbaric oxygen therapy and scuba diving.
0: Wow. That's incredible. So you have you were what made you start this? Let's start there. Let's, what, how did you decide to come up with helping people in this way?
1: Well, I was working um, for several years helping do, using this same using scuba diving uh, to help veterans. So we were we were helping veterans with PTSD and um, loss of limbs and all sorts of stuff uh, for and using scuba diving to help them. There's been studies that have been done that show that scuba diving reduces the symptoms of post traumatic stress, and it's also very good for physical injuries as well. So then. I was doing that for a while on October third, 2016. I am um, I'm retired law enforcement. I was active duty law enforcement in October of 2016. A friend of mine named Rick Rundstrom, San Bernardino County Deputy Sheriff, committed suicide. So um, I was well. Needless to say, it upset me that he did that. Um, I was upset that he committed suicide, but I was also upset. Because at the time, I'm working with veterans, helping them with post-traumatic stress, and I didn't even notice my own friend going through anything. Um, I was so focused on just veterans. I'm a veteran. I'm a Marine, so I get it. Um, There are hundreds of organizations out there that help veterans, as there should be. Um, But when I started doing some research about organizations helping first responders, there wasn't a lot out there. So I didn't want... see that ever happen again to anybody Um, because when he committed suicide he left behind not only his friends, but a wife three kids and a brand new grandchild so i didn't want to see that happen again so i i decided to start dive guardians to help uh, primarily focused on first responders because they go through the same kind of stuff they develop the same post-traumatic stress as uh, a military veteran, a military person does not combat or uh, you know anything else. So that's that's where we came from, and that's how we started.
0: Wow, that's incredible! And what do you do for work? What do, what is it that you do as a job? Well, I'm retired.
1: I retired from uh, law enforcement mm-hmm. in uh, July of 2018. Uh, well, thank you for all that you do. And then i I started Dive Guardians in March of 2018. So I, I, I was already 50, so I said, okay, this is starting to take up a lot of my time. So I need to focus on it full time. Um, and I wanted to uh, begin training people as fast as I could. So, so this is my primary job now.
0: That's awesome. That's incredible. I love that you're able to devote your time to that. That's amazing. So Kimmy, and I love it, two Kimberlys today. <laughs> uh, so my family calls me Kimmy, but you go by Kimmy everywhere. I love it. So okay. m- m- differentiate from us. Um, share, with, share first, what, what, is, what is it that you actually do for work? And then you can start talking about the nonprofit.
2: OK. So uh, I'm a multi-business owner. I'm a marriage and family therapist. And I also own Serenity Wellness Center. And I own um, another nonprofit. Ah, uh, Polaris Performing Arts Academy. So, <laughs> two different ends of the spectrum there—performing <laughs> mm-hmm. arts and therapy—but it kind of goes in, in the same, you know, kind of thing. Um, so that's what I do. And then uh, my nonprofit is SWE, which stands for Sister Warriors of the Inland Empire. And what we are is we're a domestic violence, we're domestic violence advocates. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're an extension of Leave No Women Behind, which is a nonprofit here in uh, the Inland Empire, uh, which was founded by Shay Van. And uh, basically that started out as like a hiking group, you know, for women to get together and just kind of hike, you know, get to know each other. And basically a sisterhood of women to support each other. Um, Last year, it kind of grew into division of different nonprofit organizations. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of this year, I inherited the domestic violence organization. I do have uh, some history with that. My mother ran the domestic violence organization for the Long Beach Courthouse. Um, I've been involved with, you know, just basically trying to help women Uh, get out of their situations with their accusers, Uh, so what we do is we do everything from helping them get away from their accusers, finding them some some place to go, uh, whether they need clothing, food, shelter, uh, helping them with their court papers, that's basically, you know, what we're here to do is support the victims and survivors of the domestic violence relationship.
0: Wow. So yeah, it does kind of all go under the, an umbrella, right? <laughs> yeah. So what, you you said your mom ran the one for the court. Is, is that kind of what exposed you to the great need for this domestic violence?
2: No, I think what it was, my mom's a family law attorney. So growing up with an attorney, I kind of hear like the things that were going on, um, I, over the years, um, just different friends, um, myself included have been, you know, I've been exposed to it. Um, luckily for me, not anything extensive, you know, to what I've seen in the past, but as a therapist, um, A lot of the females that I would get, and males too, because I can't say it's strictly just females, because believe it or not, there's a substantial amount of males too, who are also victims of domestic violence. But I think it's just more um, focused on the women, uh, for whatever reason, but there is a substantial amount of men. So just over the years, um, whether it was clients, friends, family, um, I've just been exposed to it my whole life. So I think that In the past over the years a lot of it kind of got pushed under the rug Uh, and as you've noticed in the media and you know as we've gone on with the times things are now starting to come to light from things that have happened way back even years ago and so I think it was just more people are starting to find their voice and coming out and you know being able to say hey we need to stop this and so that's where I've seen what, what I've seen in the past is people don't know where to go or they don't know what to do. They know they need to get out of a situation, but they don't know how to do it, where to go. And then you have a lot of people who are afraid of if I come forward, do I have to face my accuser in court? Do I have to do this? So it just brought up a lot of different things. Um, Scenarios that scared individuals into coming forward. So that's where we come in where we can kind of help guide them And then even on the therapy side of it, I can offer them, you know uh, Some kind of therapy to get through, you know, the PTSD or you know, whatever it is the issue that it's causing them So yeah, it did kind of stem to answer your question from you know over the years of my watching, you know, what my mom's do with her cases and uh, you know her victims and stuff, and it just kind of made me want to get out there and help too. Wow.
0: <clears throat> you know what? I love having both of you on. You're both helping completely two different types of people that there's such a great need for. And all of us know somebody, if it hasn't been ourselves, that it has gone through domestic violence on some on some level. And we likely know a veteran, are a veteran, or a first responder. So I love that you both are here today. This is such, this is really good, Randy. How would you? How do people? Um, how do you, How do they get involved into that diving to the dive guardians? What do they need to do to? Oh,
1: uh, it's well, pretty you easy. certify them. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Can you
0: certify them.
1: Yes, uh, we're all instructors. Um, I'm a, a PADI certified uh, scuba instructor, Professional Association of Dive Instructors, and I'm also. Uh, A NAWI certified instructor, National Association of Underwater Instructors. And uh, we certify them. They go through our basic open water program. And when they complete the program, they're a certified basic open water diver. And we stress, uh, you know, in 2011, Johns Hopkins University did a study. They took 19 wheeled vets to the Cayman Islands to see the effects on scuba diving and paraplegia. With, and um they did nine dives over four days. Uh 10 of the people were a control group, nine of them did the program, eight of them completed it. I don't know why the one didn't. So after they finished the dives, they discovered what they were looking for. Uh sensory touch sensation increased, all these different things increased. But the cool thing that they also discovered was an 80% in PTSD symptoms after school diving. So um, It comes down to oxygen and pressure so um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy they've been using that that technique for years they put you in a chamber and they bring you down under pressure it's been used for wound healing and all because oxygen uh, is healing so the more oxygen you can get into your body the faster you can heal Well, you put yourself under pressure and now you're breathing in oxygen you're breathing in more under pressure than you do at the surface promotes that healing even faster so that's how the scuba diving aspect of what we do actually—the science behind it—and there's also the the Zen portion of the floating and the and the bubbles. Not at first, because you know, but after they become divers, they're all relaxed at that point, and then um, they're very comfortable. And they and they find us through our website. Um, there's an application process. Uh, I'm the only one that gets the applications to come. They come to me. They're all password protected. So. Um, it's it's very secure, very private. Um, I don't work directly with any organization, so anything that we talk about at Dive Guardians or it happens, it stays with us. It doesn't. I don't call their agencies and tell them that anybody's going through or anything. So, but um, that's the concept of the diving course. Wow,
0: that's really awesome. So you're you're becoming a confidant as well, and it's. A private conversation. That's really cool. So, is it a program that you do? Is it like an eight-week program, or how does that work?
1: Well, it started off. When it started off, it just started off with scuba diving because that's what oh. I was using before. But um, I, I discovered, as naturally you would probably guess, not everybody wants to scuba dive. So, I was cutting out a large portion of people I can help. Hmm. So, I introduced uh, what's called heart rate variability biofeedback into the program uh, where I hook you up to a, a machine and basically take like a lie detector test. It's got a breathing thing and sensors and, um, and and I went through some training to learn how to use it. I'm still going through training, as a matter of fact, to so perfect it. And it helps people get their breathing back because as post-traumatic stress symptoms come in, there's a disconnect. Uh, between your sympathetic and your parasympathetic nervous system and sometimes they they don't the parasympathetic doesn't do its job and turn off the fight, flight, or freeze response from the sympathetic Just the, So, and it all comes down to breathing so we, we sit them down and if you don't want to scuba dive or even if they do I'll, it, I'll put them on the biofeedback I'll get their breathing nice in order teach them how to deep breathe again and how to get their heart rate and their breathing back in sync with each other and in coherence with each other. And then um, if they want to go diving, then we put them through the diving portion. We just started using a hyperbaric oxygen therapy. We actually have our own chamber now wow. that um, we can put applicants through. If they don't necessarily want to scuba dive, but they want the benefits of the oxygen and pressure, we can put them in the chamber and um, they can do 10, 20 sessions, or whatever they need to do in the chamber, and we can help them that way.
0: Wow, that's really cool. And You know, you two, if you guys come up with a question for each other, too, jump right in.
1: <laughs> oh, no, I already know I want to talk to her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have all
2: these questions going in my mind, too, and it's interesting because we use biofeedback, or I've done in the past, for um, anger management, because exactly what he was saying, it it controls, you know, especially like when somebody's getting angry, like when they have a, when we have somebody that's uh, in an anger management situation, it does help us to see, okay, what's the trigger point, um, because we get to monitor that. So it's interesting. I haven't heard biofeedback used in a while, so it's good to see that, you know, that that you guys are using that for PTSD because I definitely have done stuff and I felt that it helped because as a teenager growing up with a lot of things that i had went through i was i was on biofeedback and that helped me with my anger you know as a teenager like okay you know to feel it so that's good that they are still using that
1: yeah and um I, like i'm not a clinical therapist or clinical psychologist i'm just a guy so um i can't um i'm not certified to do all the you know, EMDR and all these different techniques that are out there right now. What I like about biofeedback, because I'm not a therapist, it's in, it's non-invasive. So I don't sit here and ask you to tell me about your problems, because I'm not a therapist. Uh, you know, it's, some of it's none of my business, and but I want to help you through it at the same time. So I make them, and EMDR could be a little bit invasive if they're not ready for it yet. Sometimes it doesn't work 100% right away. They have to... You know, and I know somebody, I only know this from talking to people. I've never done it myself. But um, it's a great technique. It's just, I think biofeedback, if you start with that and you get them back to their breathing and you get them thinking about these traumatic events themselves and learning how to control it, when they move on to EMDR, it's that much more successful. It's a good starting point. And, um, you know, you take that, you know – a veteran, you know, I always use veterans for this, you know, he's in Afghanistan or wherever, and he's in a caravan of Humvees, right, and he's the first Humvee, and he passes red Toyota on the side of the road, and he passes it, no problem, and then the second Humvee passes it, well, the Toyota blows up now, and kills people in the second Humvee. Now, you've got that driver of the first Humvee, he's, he's out of the military, he's a veteran, and he's sitting at a red light at near the Hot Springs Road in Winchester, next to the red Toyota.
0: Hmm.
1: Heart starts pounding. His fight, flight, or freeze response starts kicking in. Well, we all move up this 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 ladder of anxiety as we start to have this anxiety attack coming in. There's going to be a point where it cuts over of no return. You're going to have a panic attack. Mm-hmm. What I like about biofeedback is I make them before they start the program. I have them give me a list of eight to ten words that are trigger words to them, like baby or car or whatever and it that word reminds them of a traumatic event that they went through but it's not like and i make them think about it i don't tell them to tell me about it and i watch them get all out of whack and then i i count and, and we try to bring them in. we go and follow this bouncing ball on the breathing and i see how long it takes them to come back down and we work on it and we work on it and i send them home with another device called an inner balance that does the same thing, but it's a take-home version of the big version. And I have them do it two times a day for 10 minutes. And every week, they come see me. And before you know it, you know, we start with the smaller traumatic events. And before you know it, they're not having such a big, They're cutting it off before it reaches that point of no return where they're just having this panic attack, and they just don't know how to deal with it. We teach them kind of how to breathe through it and kind of cut it off. Um, so that's been uh, successful so far, and that's kind of what we're trying to do with that. And that's why I love what uh, what uh, Kimberly does down there. I mean, it's the same thing with domestic violence victims. I mean, my whole program can help all of them as well, even the dialing, because trauma is trauma. That's
0: exactly what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's there's so many times domestic violence victims have that PTSD as well. Like, oh, it's, okay. it's you know, so there's so many different avenues and resources that we can help with the help each other out, and that's why I wanted to do this entire month of all these amazing nonprofits out there that are out there to help people. And then, of course, you guys always need donations too, so we'll talk about that as well. But um, you know, because you got to be able to run these programs to help people, and I love I love that you're talking about um, the breathing. There's so much power in breath and it's an incredible tool that we do automatically anyway. And I love this. It's interesting to me as you were talking about that, Randy, you're what you're doing is you're giving them like an actual device to help them learn to, in a sense, meditate. Cause that's what they're doing with that ball, you know, to follow how to breathe and that your breath can help you from going into that full-blown anxiety attack, especially if you're sitting at the street and you see the red Toyota. Amazing. I love that you're doing this work. And Kimberly, I agree. I mean, we could even, I'm also a part of, uh, with Kimberly in the Leave No Women Behind um, Warrior Sisters for the domestic violence. I do a lot of work with the domestic violence um, sector. Having gone through it myself, um, but do you see how there's even this correlation between the two with both of your nonprofits how we could work together in this?
2: A... Oh, absolutely.
0: Uh, Randy's Randy.
2: a therapist he didn't realize that. <laughs> I a <Minus> degree <laughs> with the with <laughs> With the breathing techniques, you're absolutely right. Because I do this, I do something similar as well, too. I do what's called, for my patients who have anxiety or PTSD, I do what's called a four by four breathing technique with them, which is pretty similar to what Randy was um, talking about with the, you know, with the biofeedback, and that helps, too. But a lot of times you have to, it is, it's all about the breathing. It's controlling that. Um, because you get this sudden burst of like energy that you don't know what to do with it. And by doing the four by four, it slows the heart rate down and it makes you focus more on your breathing. So you're not focused so much on, you know, what the, the trigger is. So it's, it's very similar, um, you know, to what you're doing as well, Randy. That's why I said
1: you're a therapist. You just <laughs> didn't know that yet. <laughs> well, people, my world people, they, uh, they forget. When they start having, uh, as they go through life and they experience trauma and their body, your brain's amazing uh-huh. uh, in a way. It, it, it'll rewire itself and, uh-huh. and it can be a negative thing, but it's amazing at the same time. I mean, so your sympathetic is your fight, flight, or freeze response. So, you know, when something traumatic happens, your sympathetic kicks in and it tells you to do whatever it is you're going to do. Then your parasympathetic basically turns it off. It um, well, take a first responder. Um, you know, there's a book out there called Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement, written by a, a doctor named Kevin uh, Gilmartin. And in his book, he talks about hypervigilance. So, um, law enforcement or first responders, the moment they go on duty and they start their shift, they put themselves in a hypervigilant state. They're hyper aware, they're, they're officer safety. You know they have to be aware of everything. They're, you know, every vehicle stop you're going to do, someone's going to try to kill you, or every domestic violence call you go on, which is the most dangerous call cops go on. Yeah. Try to kill you. It doesn't always happen, but you ha- you put yourself in that state. Well, that's when you're you stop deep breathing and you're shallow breathing, like you just ran that shallow breathing, and that takes you out of that coherence. Your fight flight or freeze response is basically on for ten hours a day. Well, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction so in hypervisions, you're hot you're energetic you're happy you have all these great feelings well at the end of the day when you go home what happens you have to crash you're isolated detached which also affects the family life when you go home and dr gilmartin states states in his book that it takes 18 to 24 hours for us to get back into this normal range well talk to any first responder and ask him How often they have 18 to 24 hours off between shifts? So it's hypervigilant, isolated, detached. Hypervigilant, isolated. So after a while, your brain basically says, okay, this is how you are now. (laughs) So you're going to be hypervigilant all the time, which if you look up symptoms of post-traumatic stress, hypervigilance is one of them. So you're basically turning yourself into a post-traumatic stress nightmare by just going to work every day. So we try to teach them to rewire their brain again to remember how to deep breathe and remember it's a muscle it's just like you go to the gym if you haven't been to the gym a while and you lift for the first time your muscles are all sore and you have to rework those muscles well we we teach their muscles to breathe properly again so that's awesome that's awesome did you want to
0: add something to that Kimberly
2: I know, I agree with everything. With <laughs> it is, um, you know, even like you said, like even in a domestic violence situation, coming out of it, um, the women or the men, you know, who, whatever, whoever the victim or survivor is at that point is just, you know, in this big high. And then it also causes, on our end, it causes a lot of bipolar activity too, because they're coming out of this traumatic, this traumatic situation um, and so they're very fragile. They're very vulnerable. And so they're willing to open up at that time to talk about it But then at the quick second they switch and you see this other side where it's like now all of a sudden You're the victim, you know, we become the victim like wait a minute. What did I do? I'm here to try and help you So it just it creates a whole lot of different emotions and and like Randy said, I mean just the brain itself you know um, it's, it's that switch quick, quick switch. And we've seen it all the time. And that's why even on in my um, experience with working with the women that go in this, I already know, like from my standpoint, I mean, I've got experience with it for the other ones like uh, that are in our group that are just now experiencing it and working with the victims. They're like, Oh my God, I don't know what to do. Like this woman just flipped on me and now they're accusing me of this and that and, and where well, I'm used to it. So, um, it's, it's very touchy feely um, the situation that we get put in. That's why I'm very cautious now with the group because um, and we make sure we get everybody certified as well too, as you know, because there's certain things that will trigger a person. Um, certain words, like what Randy was saying, you have trigger words that um, trigger things that you could do, like fast movement, you know, just all types of different situations. and we don't know what those triggers are because each individual is different so you know there there's a lot a lot
0: there really is and and that key point of teaching how to breathe through it mm-hmm. is it's profound in your life for anybody i teach a lot of it when i'm doing workshops and stuff it's it's always back to that breath right and how it can help you And, you know, it's funny, Randy, when you're talking about you're doing this and I'm breathing with your hands as you're going up, you know, it's this automatic thing. Oh, inhale, inhale, exhale. So there's so many resources, too, on how to even just breathe. Mm -hmm. You know, you can, I think YouTube has probably a plethora of different meditations and different things. So even if you're not ready to go out and reach out to Randy or Kimberly for help, and you're, you're not quite there yet, seek out that. YouTube has thousands upon thousands of breathing methods just to have a starting point.
1: Yeah, we have an app that, uh, well, it's a website actually that I, I give the, stu- the, the students and I send them home with. And if you have, like, I use it myself, and if you have, like, Apple CarPlay or something where you could play it, it's music. And it, it, it goes, so what we have to do with biofeedback is we have to determine your breathing pattern. So I have to do some breathing test with me to determine how many breaths a minute that you take that is the most uh, beneficial for your body. Everybody's different. Like mine is 0.5 when I, I just had someone in here a couple weeks ago, and, and theirs was 7 breaths a minute. So then we set this thing, and you just take it in your car, and while you're driving, it's only 10 minutes long worth of music, I put it on while I'm driving to the office and it it plays a song, a music tone that goes higher when you're breathing in and lower when you're breathing out. And you just follow the music as you're driving and do your deep breathing. And, you know, and then it just turns off when it's done. And if you do that to and from work, that's twice a day. That's all you really 20 minutes a day is what they say is, is what you need to get your muscle memory back. It's really hard to sit for 20 minutes and breathe. Nobody. I mean, I don't have that kind of patience. So, um, to, splitting it up for 10 minutes a day seems to work. And, um, but yeah. So there's lots of apps out there, and I can share. I don't. I don't have it. I can pull it up and share it. Uh, where people can bring it up and and download it themselves. I mean, you're pretty safe in the six six point five seven range, even if you've never been through biofeedback to use that range, and it will just help. It will help you regardless, whether you know your breathing pattern or not.
2: because i have i have apps too that i use personally and i use with my patients as well for even at nighttime um going to sleep and there's there's even a hypnotherapy because i'm a hypnotherapist too and so there's these hypnotherapy apps that i work with um when you're going to bed at night and it kind of walks you through so it starts it all starts with the breathing and like randy was saying it has the music in the background and then it just kind of walks you through. So it kind of puts you in that meditation state and it's walking you through different things. I, I personally I don't think I've ever made it through to the end of what an app the app does because I'm I'm asleep and I always try to fight it. So I'm thinking like, okay, I'm gonna skip it, I'm gonna listen to this and I'm gonna do it. And then I wake up the next morning, I'm like, man, I didn't make it through. So clearly it works, but <laughs> you know, um, but there are, you know, like Randy was saying, there's a lot of different apps out there, uh, whether in the car, just for everything. It all comes down to breathing. Breathing is just one of the main sources to a lot of things, you know, outside, you know, PTSD. I mean, I use breathing when I'm teaching my vocal lessons. That's the first thing we do is we go straight to breathing and how to use the correct form of your diaphragm and how to use the correct breath control. So breathing is just one of those things, regardless what the situation is. It could just be like, you know, even with diving, breathing's a big thing too. Swimming, you know, so it's not necessarily just for traumatic stuff, but breathing is like the core center of anything that you do in life.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, I always, anytime I wind up into a conversation that's so wrapped around breathing, I find it really interesting because we do it anyway. We do it naturally. We took our first, first breath when we were born, we haven't stopped, unless we're trying to hold it, you know, to go underwater, <laughs> you know, so to know that we do this anyway, but there's really so much power within it, and to be able to help yourself, it calms your mind, it calms your body, it helps your blood pressure, it literally helps your body heal, as you were even talking about, Randy, it, it's, I mean... To think about that it's so powerful and you do it anyway I think that there's a lot of power to it because when people it's not something that's outside of themselves that they can't do you do it anyway
1: right just right, right. learn how
0: to do it to where it really helps and heals your body your mind your soul
1: yeah then you add in the scuba aspect of our, our program so I do this first so I teach them how to breathe well the number one rule in scuba diving when you go through the program is you never hold your breath. You always breathe continuously. Right. Holding your breath is dangerous. Right. So now you've got your breathing pattern. You, and after you do the program for a while, the breathing part, your, your brain automatically rem- knows, like say, your 6.5 breaths a minute. At first, you don't know what 6.5 breaths in and out is. But after a while, you kind of re- you kind of get the ha- hang of how many ti- how long you got to breathe in and how long you got to breathe out. Now you take that breathing underwater with you. Now you're breathing through a regulator, deep in, deep out. As you're diving along, you're accomplishing two goals at one time. You're using oxygen and pressure for healing, but you're also using deep breathing because you're doing it underwater, and it actually conserves your air more instead of getting in that hypervigilant mode of, you know, breathing heavy when you're underwater, just nice and relaxed. So I use the biofeedback to help them with the scuba diving as well. So that's what, uh, another good thing about it. That's awesome.
0: I love it. And like Kimberly said, you, you are a therapist. You just,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. well, you, just have what been, I
2: you have to hear everybody else's problems. <laughs> <laughs> you get the good side of the therapy. <laughs>
1: yeah. I don't get the – I don't intervene too much. So.
2: Exactly. You know, it's funny when we were talking about – when you were talking about the scuba diving, I remember – because I, I like rivers. I like – I love water. I don't – I'm not so fond of the beach. I have a fear of the beach. And I, it's just because I had – traumatic stuff happen to me, you know, growing up in the in the ocean. So when I went to um, St. Thomas for vacation one year, the first time I ever went snorkeling, and as you know, when you're swimming, it's all about holding your breath, you know, underwater how long you can you make it. Where opposite, when you're snorkeling or diving, you're breathing. So for me, that was different. So when I first learned to snorkel, I was like, wait a minute, I'm breathing underwater. Like it, it, the, it was a completely different mindset and it freaked me out a little bit because, you know, like you said, I mean, we're so, I'm so used to holding my breath when I'm just normally swimming. So to have something, you know, to be able to breathe underwater, the concept was completely different. And once I learned how to do it and I got it down, I was like, wow, this is actually cool. But it it kind of relieved me um from the fear and the stress of drowning i guess underwater too because i was breathing you know and i think my fear is being trapped underwater and not being able to breathe um i got caught in a riptide or you know something like that that was my fear but i had a calmness when i did the snorkeling because i was able to breathe so i wasn't that fear factor was gone for me so it was that so i kind of see like what you're talking about now when you said that it kind of triggered oh my god Here, <laughs> you know, I remember that so um that for me was was kind of cool and it kind of was calming for me to know I can breathe
1: underwater. Well I always tell I tell every student when they come through I go the hardest part of scuba diving is the first five seconds you put your face underwater. Yeah. I mean we were all breathing water at one point in our lives right but yeah. um people that's the most apprehension people has because as soon as you put a regulator and go underwater, your brain is like, this is not supposed to be happening. So the moment you take that first breath and you breathe out, that takes about five seconds, you know, you're like, oh, hey, I could do this. Okay. You know, and, and I tell you, that's the hardest part. The moment you get over, you're going to be fine. You have plenty of air. Don't worry about it, you know, and I'm certainly not going to take you in an area where you'll be trapped, you know, <laughs> You know when you go scuba diving, we we're all in the open ocean. You're just diving around, and it's very peaceful and very relaxing. We uh, we just went on a night dive uh, two nights ago in La Jolla. It's pitch black. You're underwater with your flashlight. Um, It's very (laughs) quiet and very peaceful. I I would imagine whatsoever. Do you
0: start people out, Randy, in the ocean to dive? Or are you guys starting out in a
1: pool? No, it's a pool. So the program consists of uh, several hours and, and, and uh, 25 or so skills we, we all do in the pool. So it's two or three days in the pool mm-hmm. um, before I'll even take them to the ocean. And we go over all the skills, and we make them very comfortable. And if I don't think they're ready, we'll do another pool day if we have to. Um, uh, I, you know, I have a pool that's donated to, to the use to us, uh, the Drop Zone Water Park in Paris. I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a great water park, but they donate their pool to us, and they let us use it whenever we want. So, and it's 14 feet deep, so I could take them down there. Um, so then we do the pool, and then we go to the ocean. And it's, you have to do four ocean dives. So we do two one day, and we do two in La Jolla, and then I finish off at Catalina Island with them.
0: Very cool. That's very cool. Wow. So I, I like what you said there, though, if you don't think they're ready, or if you they feel that they need an extra day, you get to stay in the pool one more day, whatever. So there's no pressure. And that's one of the things that we do when we're helping people is we're trying to take that pressure that you have to do this off of them. You know, and I, I think there's so much, there's so much pressure anyway, with all that the traumas that we, they've gone through, we've gone through. So to know that you're, you're taking that off and Hey, it, it's real fluid in how you're teaching them and getting them prepped for that. And then all the healing that goes along with it. That's awesome.
1: I mean, and, and it'd it be so like, Oh, for domestic violence victim. I mean, when I started this, I mean, my primary focus was first responders. Um But in the back of my mind, there was a, there was a part of me that wanted to help, uh, victims of rape, women who are victims of rape, because that's traumatic, and I wanted to help them. It's difficult because my staff consists of men, so I need more females in my to come through, so I could make them instructors. So, um, but domestic violence is a huge one that I'm it, it, that you take a person, especially someone. I'm not talking about. I'm not. I'm not specifically talking about that that male or female that was physically abused. I'm talking about the, the emotional abuse that some people go through. That's domestic violence. Years and years of emotional abuse. It takes a person's self-esteem and turns it sometimes into nothing. Yeah. You have to spend, I mean, I'm sure you you spend hours and hours with people to, in, that are victims of emotional domestic violence and trying to build their self-esteem back up. Well, they come through us, and I teach them to dive, and then we get them involved with helping teach others to dive and show them that they're important and that they help self-work, and it helps build their self-esteem back up. I think that would be awesome because um, there's definitely not enough – domestic violence is a big thing, and, and it's so awesome to see when there's an organization that helps that I love it.
0: And
2: see, on our, on, the, on this side, too, um, exactly what you said, Randy, it's the emotional part of it. The physical part of it, obviously, you know, that's a big thing, too. But the physical part, usually, if it's not something serious, heals. But the emotional scarring is what lasts. So a lot of people that I work with have told me I can get past the physical aspect of what happened to me. It's the emotional part that they can't, you know, get past. And so that is a big thing. Um, and I and it is harder to deal emotionally with people than it is to physically get them better. The emotional state is what takes a lot longer because you could get them to a certain point and one little trigger happens and it, they're right back to where they started again. And I've seen that so many times. So for me, it's emotional for me, too, because I'm on this journey with them. And when I see them make this progress, I'm like, oh, my God, great, you know, and it's it's you know, I'm so proud of them and everything else. And then just one thing, and all of a sudden, they're right back to where they were before, and I'm starting all over again. So that's emotional for me, too, you know, because I'm like, oh, you know, we just got there, and now here we are again, you know. So it's it's a process, and it's a emotional process, but it is definitely more emotional than it is physical for a lot of the victims
1: and it's the same for first responders so um you know i mean of course you get a cop that gets in a shooting that's that's a traumatic event okay but there are protocols in place within the departments that bring you through the process and you talk to a counselor and you there's a process I'm not saying it's the best process but there is a process um, the people that don't often often get noticed are those cops that never get in a shooting. But they go through their career, and they see domestic violence call after domestic violence call, a baby who just drowned in a swimming pool, uh, you know, a, a fatality crash, you know, that they have to respond to, traumatic event after traumatic event, and it cumulatively builds up. At the end of the day, it's the same post-traumatic stress, but – there's no protocols in place for that. Right. Not noticed, it's usually unnoticed until that cop goes out and gets a DUI because they're self-medicating now or has a domestic violence incident themselves or, heaven forbid, builds up to the point where you pull what Rick did. The I look at emotions, and I teach, I teach this in my class. that you got to look at your emotions like a balloon. So every time you experience something traumatic, it's a little bit of air in that balloon. If you don't do something to let some of that air out, eventually that balloon's going to pop. But when that balloon pops, that's, that's the day you get a DUI or the day you lose your temper and do something domestic violence-related or, heaven forbid, commit suicide and, or something to that event. So you have to find ways to let the air out of that balloon. healthy ways. You know, whether it's seeing a counselor, family counselor, because family counseling in law enforcement, first responders, I I say law enforcement a lot, but I mean for all first responders. It's huge because there's often a disconnect between the the first responder and their significant other or the first responder and their children because they have to go through the hypervigilant process. And sometimes when you get home from work, you don't have time to play with the kids right away. You need that... 15, 20 minutes to decompress if you don't have, a, you know, some people have long drives, but if you don't, you just need it. That great? Mm-hmm. And that's when family counseling comes in, you know, bring mm-hmm. that family back together. So, yeah. That's right. yeah.
0: You know, it's that long-term, that emotional stuff that happens. And like you're saying, it's, it's it, with the first responders, it's not often even recognized or noticed until that balloon's about to pop. And I love that analogy, by the way. I'm going to start using that. That's really good analogy. But for domestic violence victims, you know, it took us a long time to say, hey, this is emotional abuse, and it's abuse just because he's not punching me in the face doesn't mean he's not abusing me. And it took a long time for us to finally get that to even be acknowledged. And the long-term effects for any of that emotional stuff I mean, it's lifetime. I still find myself going, wait a minute, that's okay. But what's happening is we're teaching people and giving them resources that they could use themselves to pull themselves out of it when those emotional moments happen for them. Um, And again, going back to the breathing or the mindset affirmations, whatever it is, start doing jumping jacks, just get your mind out of What's going on because your mind is your best friend, it's your worst enemy. <laughs> so, being able to understand that and that you actually have the power, and that's what so many of these amazing, you know, both of these, well, and I guess, Kimberly, you have a couple different nonprofits, but both of the nonprofits that you're talking about today really do help and provide resources for on many, many levels. And actually, I did see that. I'm gonna put this right up here. Randy, you put this out there. Um, This is the breathing, the paced breathing meditation that you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. So if anybody wants that, but also all the links that we're gonna be popping up here, you guys can put down in the comments throughout the Facebook. Um, We have a couple of different Facebook pages that this does, that we air on and um, you guys can put all your links inside of that as well so people can just click as they go so they don't have to wait for me to do it at the end <laughs> they're watching or I guess they can fast forward at that point if they're re-watching the show <laughs> but yeah that emotional that emotional baggage if you want to call it baggage it, it really takes a toll on people on throughout any community and throughout any job really but especially yeah, yeah. Domestic violence
1: in the, in the, yeah. I I mean, look at uh, another passion of mine is bully kids. I mean, look at at kids, and you know, you, you, you I get in a whole big soapbox about my my opinion about active shooters and why there's so many of them. But one of the theories I have is the balloon theory. Mm. You know, uh, when I was a kid, I mean, people got picked on just like they do now. There wasn't social media, obviously, back then, but. We didn't have active shooters like you have right now. You know, well, my father, uh, inadvertently—well, he, he did it on purpose, maybe—but he taught me resilience. He taught me to stand up for myself. He taught me to be resilient in life. And I've noticed as times are changing that kids are being taught that less and less, and they're being taught to walk away, walk away, walk away. Well, they keep locking it up back there, and they don't let air out of that balloon. And that's when they go grab a gun and they do something stupid. I mean, we need to give these kids a way to healthy, in a healthy manner, let the air out of their balloon, whether it's mountain biking or running or scuba diving or, uh, you know, going to talk to a counselor or different things. But they are another big area that I have passion uh, to help is bully kids. I was a bully kid, so I relate.
2: See, that's my passion as well, too. You hit the nail right on the head when you said that, because I love working with my with the kids that I have with this. Um, and same thing, I was a bully kid, and I was the opposite. So I was the one that was taught walk away. Well, walking away didn't work well for me, because exactly what Randy said, it just progressed every year. And it was the same group of kids mm-hmm. every year that I was bullied by and it wasn't until I got in my seventh grade year, the same group of kids because I thought, okay, now I'm at a different school. Even though those kids were there, I figured there were more kids there so they would that attention wouldn't be on me. Well, that didn't happen. So my seventh grade year, the same group of kids came at me and I was a very passive kid. I've, I've always been like that and I was taught to be like that until so now as an adult. But when that seventh grade year hit and the same group of kids came, I lost it one day I followed that group of kids home and they all lived in the same little um, community at the time I followed them home and they turned around and saw me they said oh what are you doing you're following us and I just remember I lost it and just beat the crap out of the one girl and everybody was like oh my god like they're because they were shocked that I fought back for the first time her and I became best friends after that, which is funny, but you know, I mean, it just took that one time for me to stand up to myself and they, and then we all became really good friends, you know, for the rest of the, you know, the time, but exactly what he said. I mean, I, like I said, I was that opposite one and I was very quiet, very reserved. And I kept taking and I was that balloon that just kept going, 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 going until I exploded. And then, you know, that kind of didn't go the right way, you know, later on so much because I kept doing that. So now I am working with, you know, the students that I, or the, the patients that I have that are kids that are being bullied, you know, to find a release because we don't want them obviously striking back, not the answer, but yes, stand up for yourself, you know, as far as like whether it's your words or, you know, doing something else constructively, um, because I do get worried about it, and I've seen a lot, especially now with COVID here, I have gotten so many more kids because they have no outlet. There's no sports. There was no, you know, now things are starting to open up a little bit more, but just within the last four or five months, I was getting a lot more kids than I was adults because they don't have the outlet. They don't have school they can physically go to anymore. They don't have friends they can physically you know, go out at recess and play with and do whatever, especially the littler ones. Um, Even here with my grandkids, I'm noticing that. And that for me right now is the biggest issue is working with the kids because they, they don't have an outlet right now. We're adults, we can still go out, we can go to the store, we can do stuff, but the kids who have, you know, no control of what they can and can't do, that's where their balloon is starting to do this. And when it pops, it's just, it's a disaster for the parents because they don't know now they're like, Oh my God, what do I do? You know, so COVID has really played a huge part, um, in, you know, with the, with the kids and even with the domestic violence, because more couples are being stuck together at home and not being able to go to work like they used to. So I've seen a
0: lot of that now lately too, that we're, that we're dealing with. Yeah, the domestic violence has really escalated, especially in the situations that were already bad. Now they're worse. Oh, yeah. So I want to make sure I get all of your guys' information out. Um, You both are an incredible wealth of information. You have lots and lots of resources to share. I want to first put back up this link for the breathing that Randy uh, put up there to. To Find out more about dive guardians. This is your website diveguardians.org and people can find out What can they find out about?
1: (laughs) um, Go to our website and and, uh, we have a new one that's being built right now But the old one's still up new ones being built in the background You can't see it, but you can still you can go and read our story. You can you read the story of Rick and How I started this thing and um, you can sign up for our program uh, most importantly, you can donate, uh, we are a 501 C three. Um, just, uh, I always put it out there. I tell everybody I, I, am retired. I don't make any money. I don't take a salary or anything from dive guardians. Um, every penny that comes in, I just use it to train people in scuba diving. It costs, you know, about $500 to train one person in scuba diving. Then you add in the biofeedback and, and the chambers are expensive to use. So it costs a bit of money. Um, So you can donate to us. I always ask people to donate uh, $10 a month, you know, and you can go on our website, click on the shield that's on there, and do a recurring monthly donation, or you can do a one-time donation. um, That keeps us keeping our program free, because our program is free to the first responders. They don't pay anything. So I provide it free to them. So uh, that's the biggest thing they'll see, and the biggest thing that can help us continue to – keep our program going and growing our program. I wanna a, keep adding tools to it. I mean, every time I talk to somebody like Kimberly, that's a tool that I can add as well to my program. I have yeah. someone that can, can need some family counseling. Okay, I know who to call, and then Dive guarding is space for them to go through that. So, yeah. you know, you can't build a house with just a hammer. You need more tools. So every tool that you put in your tool belt, the bigger our program grows and grows and grows, you know, I, I, a wellness center, uh, you know, that's, that's my dream is to have a big center where they can do all what they need to do.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. And then here's your personal, your, inf, your email and your phone number if anybody wants to reach out to you and, and call you directly. Um, Kimberly, the Sisters, Sister Warriors of Inland Empire, 2020.org, share what they can find on there.
2: So I just think like what Randall constantly built on the background as well. Um, I just added the emergency button on there. So if there is a victim that's on there and they're trying to get resources and say their perpetrator walks in or their accuser walks in, they can hit that emergency button and it takes them out of the screen completely. So it just goes to like Google or, you know, something else. Um, So that was a big thing too, because a lot of times we want to, they don't want their accuser to know know, that they're actually looking for some kind of help. Um, But if you go on there, same thing. um, It just kind of, kind of tells you a little bit about us, what we do as a domestic violence advocate. Um, we have a donation button on there as well. We do participate with other nonprofit organizations. Uh, we do our 501c3, so we uh, partner with different um, nonprofit organizations. Like we just did one uh, to help the homeless with the pillows, um, passing the pillows out. We raised, um, we hit our target. For the transitional home that's coming out here in Lake Elsinore so we can do other pillows. The pillowcases have uh, positive affirmations on it so that it lets that when they go to sleep at night they're going to sleep with the positive affirmation that's the last thing that they see before they go to sleep. Um, There's a lot of different things on there that we're constantly adding to it as well Um, and when I hear things too, it's exactly like what Randy said is like, you're constantly adding tools to, you know, when you hear something or see something new, it's like, Oh, you know, let's add that. We added our partners on there, um, because we want to support each other, you know, in the community as well
0: too. So, and our contact information
2: is on there as well.
0: Perfect. I love it. And you guys will put the links down in the comments on the Facebook pages so people can just click real quick. And I just want to thank you both so much for being on the show today. You both are a wealth of information. I love what you're doing in the world. Thank you for your service, all that you've done. If anybody's interested in what I've got going on, KimberlyACoaching.com, my events and everything else that's coming up. And thank you so much, you guys, for coming on here and, and sharing this time with me. Thank you.
2: Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you.